0: I want you to go to a couple passages of scripture. I don't know how much we'll cover this morning, but I want you to go to Luke chapter 10, place a bookmark there and maybe, maybe we'll get to Luke chapter 10. But I also want to spend some time in Acts chapter 17. This is kind of like a Sunday school class and so I just want to lay some groundwork for missions of course we will be presenting the mission challenges in the morning service and in the evening service i already told you that i'm praying i have been praying for this meeting but i need you to pray for me i never take it for granted about god's prayers and about god's anointing on the preacher so place a bookmark at luke chapter 10 and then i want you to go to acts chapter 17. Uh, there are several titles for the lesson that I'm teaching this morning, but I'm really going to go to the introduction from Acts chapter 17, and then if we have time, we'll go to Luke chapter 10. But I want you to go to Acts chapter 17, and really, if I was to put a title on what I'm teaching this morning, it's really just the experience of a missionary who's been at it for three and a half deca- decades. Of God has revealed to me some truths that I wish were revealed to me as a young missionary. And so I always try to help those who have the call of God upon their life or churches about what the mission program really all is about. And preacher, we're in a state now that we need to educate the body of Christ of what missions is. It's sad to say, but many people don't understand uh the mission program and we think it's man-made we think that grace giving or faith promise is a man-made uh plan it's not it's a biblical plan it comes from the word of god and of course we don't want to do anything that doesn't come from the word of god but i want to read just three verses in acts chapter 17 would you stand with me for the reading of god's word in reverence to god's word may not be your custom to stand nowhere in the bible does it say we have to stand But I teach my primitive gypsies that when the word of God is open, that they should stand in reverence of this book. I want them to know that it's God who's about to speak. Acts chapter 17, begin at verse 26. Here, this is the sermon of of the Apostle Paul on Mars Hill. I've been to Mars Hill, and I've seen it, how it overlooks Athens and all the idols of Athens. You can see all the the remnants of all their uh, uh, divinities, if you will, and how lost they really were. And here's what he says beginning at the 26th verse. And he's talking of God. He says, And has made of one blood all nations of men, for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, bless our time this morning as we look into your word We know, God, that it's you who reveals. It's the blessed Holy Spirit who illuminates truth. I am your mouthpiece. You've chosen to use the mouth and tongues of men. And God, I just pray that you would take control of my heart, my mind, and my tongue and use me this morning to the edification of the church, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would be glorified in all that we do. We love you, Father, and we pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. I want to begin at the 26th verse and I want to focus in on the phrase has made of one blood of all nations of men. I've entitled that thought the genetics of missions. The genetics of missions. The word here that he uses uh, has made of one blood all nations. That word nations is the Greek word ethnos where we get the word ethnicity. It means a race, a tribe, specifically a foreign, non-Jewish one. Usually, by implication, pagan. They could be Gentile, heathen, the nations of the world, the peoples. And so God has made all peoples of the earth of one blood. That's the genetics of missions. The second thing I want you to see in verse 26, He has made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth. I call that the geography of missions. I want you to focus in on that verse. I want you to see it. You will not appreciate the lesson this morning if you don't see it in the Word of God. I didn't come here to preach my philosophy or my opinions. I've come here to preach God's Word. And look what it says. It's made of one blood of all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth. In other words, God has put specific peoples in specific geographical locations and soon we'll find out what the purpose is. We talk about the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. It means that he rules and that he reigns with a divine supremacy. He is absolutely in charge. Watch, church, even when it doesn't look like he's in charge, he's in charge. We may see the world in chaos. We may see things falling apart. I lost my precious wife at the age of of 62. Never did I think after 45 and a half years that I would be a widower. But that doesn't change the sovereignty of God. It is appointed unto man once to die. God determines the day and the appointment of our death. And so God is sovereign, meaning that he is the one who is in absolute control of missions and evangelism and the church and the servants of the Most High God. I don't believe that Brother Duarte is here by accident. I believe that God has designed for him to be here in this conference. I believe that church leadership, as led by the Holy Spirit, has designed these conferences as they have prayed and sought the face of God, that we can see a working of God in our midst. And we want to see that, don't we? And especially today and throughout this month, as you emphasize missions. That's the geography of missions. But I also want you to see something in verse 26. He is made of one blood, all nations of men, for to dwell on the face of the earth, now watch this phrase, and is determined the times before appointed. Now I've given this point an unusual title, and I'll explain why I've entitled it, The Grief of Missions. Now first we talked about the genetics of missions, one blood. Then we talked about the geography of mission. that God has placed specific people groups where he wants them to be. As we come to this phrase, and I want you to see that phrase again, it's talking about God, it's talking about the sovereign God, and hath uh, determined the times before appointed. I entitled that the grief of missions because it, it talks about the length of a lifespan and the length of a lifespan of which a missionary is called to reach a specific people group. In other words, people are only alive for a certain amount of time. And watch now, we have to reach them before they die. Now it gives me a chill. May not, you, because maybe you don't carry the burden of a specific people group. And I do. Our missionaries with Roma carry a specific burden for a people group. Brother Duarte carries a specific burden for a people group that he has to reach before the death angel knocks on their door. You all with me? Amen. Let me give you some verses. I already quoted Hebrews 9, 27. It is a point when the man wants to die. Moses says in Psalm 90, the days of our year are three score years and ten and if by reason of strength they be fourscore. James says in James chapter 4, Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. for what is your life, it is even a vapor that appeared for a little time and then vanishes away. If you ain't got it yet, you're going to get it now with this illustration. I read a book entitled Peace Child. I recommend that book. It's not a big book. It's probably only about this thick. It's paperback. It's written by a missionary by the name of Don Richardson. Don Richardson was called to a people group who had never seen a white man, let alone a Bible. And when he got to this people group, uh, their language was unknown by anybody, their language was untaught, and their language uh, was unwritten. So as Don Richardson and his wife set up living quarters in the midst of this tribe of people, the first thing he had to do was to learn their language. Now I want you to think about what it takes for that to happen. And how he had to interact with the people and point to a tree and say tree in English. And they would say to him uh, how they say tree in their language. And eventually, he gets their vocabulary. That's number one. After he gets their vocabulary, then he has to create an alphabet. And then after he creates an alphabet, then he has to teach them how to read and write their own language. We're getting to the Bible. That's the goal here. Are you all with me? And so he gets the language, he gets the alphabet, he I'm not sure which gospel account it was, but he finally writes out one gospel account in their language, ready to present the gospel to this tribal group that God has called into. To understand the culture, the hero in their culture, the top dog, the one they look up to the most, is the one who will befriend someone and then eat him. And when he eats him, he's the hero. Everybody looks up to him. So as Don Richardson finally gets a gospel account into their language uh, with their words uh, that they can understand, they can read and write, they can see it for themselves, when he presents the gospel to them, Jesus is not the hero of the story. Judas is. Because Judas befriended Christ and then turned him in. And so Don Richardson goes back to his hut and he's just completely overwhelmed and he cries out to the Lord and he says, God, they they missed it. I've worked on this language. I now have a gospel account in their own language they can read and write and, and they missed it. They see Judas as the hero woven into their culture as this one who betrays, who befriends someone that betrays him and that he becomes the hero. So Judas is the hero. In the midst of Don Richardson's dilemma, he begins to pray and ask God, to help him to have a key to get into the culture of these people don't forget the title of the point the grief of missions the appointment of death in the meantime war breaks out between the tribe that don richardson is trying to reach and another tribe and the war is so horrendous that most of the men are being killed don richardson goes back to the lord falls on his face and says god They're all gonna be dead, the grief of missions. They're all gonna be dead before I can get them to understand who the hero of the story is. Don Richardson decides he's going to go to the chief of his tribe and ask him a question. And he says to the chief, how does this war end? And here's what the chief says. If our warring tribe, our enemy, will give us a son, give them one of their sons to us, and we raise him, as long as he lives, there's peace between these two tribes. And he's called the peace child. So when Don Richardson presents the gospel again, he presents Jesus as the peace child. And how long is there peace? As long as the Son lives. And Don Richardson began to reach his tribe. And now there are churches in that part of the world because a missionary was carrying upon himself, watch now, the grief of missions. Jesus told us to work while it is day, because the night cometh when no man can work. There is an urgency to the missions program. There is an urgency for missionaries. There is a burden that burns within the heart of each and every called man of God. And if he doesn't have that burning burden in him, then he better reconsider his call. But God hasn't just called the missionary. He hasn't just called the pastor. The the great commission is to the church. I didn't look for an itinerant ministry. I didn't look to stand behind pulpits and challenge God's people in the area of missions. That's not what I sought to do. I wanted to be an on-the-ground missionary all the rest of my life. But God has now called me, and if you will, for the lack of a better term, enlighten the church. We, would, we shouldn't have to say that we're enlightening the church, Brother Tyler. We shouldn't have to say that. The church at one time knew What missions was all about. Oh, it's awful quiet in here now. By the way, i come prepared to do my own amen. The grief of missions. Are you bearing the grief for your loved one? Your mom, your dad? We talk about reaching the billions. Almost 8 billion people in the world. He said, Brother Stevens, are you expecting after four Sundays in September we're going to reach the billions? Is that what this month is about? Eight billion, that's a lot of people. It may overwhelm you. Well, let's narrow it down to the state of New Jersey. Let's narrow it down to the United States of America. How about this? Let's narrow it down to your home. Let's narrow it down to the street where you live, where you work, where you go to school, where you pump gas and where you buy your groceries. Let's narrow it down. I recently flew on an Airbus uh, A380. It's the largest passenger plane in the world. It's a literal two story plane. It's not like the 747 that only ha- had a half a second floor. This is a full second floor, 500 passengers. I like to get on the plane early, and I always get an aisle seat so I can get off fast. And as I was on the plane and watched these people begin to board, Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 went through my mind. But when he saw the multitudes he was moved with compassion why because he saw them fainting and scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd i got news for you jesus doesn't see the world saved he sees the world lost and i began to pray god if this plane crashes i know where i'm going But do the other 499 passengers know where they're going? And I had this strange and unusual urgency to stand up on my seat and preach the gospel. But if I did, that marshal that's on board would have arrested me and thrown me off for sure. And then I said, God, how am I going to reach almost 500 souls? And here's what he said to me. He doesn't speak to my ears, by the way. He speaks to the ear of my heart. And when you're in tune with God, that ear can hear better than this one. And he said, don't worry about the 499. Worry about the one you're sitting next to. That narrows down missions, doesn't it? The grief of missions. Understand. As the missionaries come through this church this month and stand at this platform and show a video, think about the grief that they're bearing, that there's a people group, that they got to get to the field. And folks, the deputation process is too long. Three years for some missionaries. Oh, the gifted ones, the tap dancers and those who can swallow swords and pull rabbits out of hats, they get their, their support real fast. But not everybody's that gifted. Not everybody's that talented. Not everybody that charismatic. And sometimes preachers, there's, it's a real burden for me and I could park here for a long time, but I know we're on a time limit. You know my passion. Four years? Not only do the supporting churches who have invested in him for four years are wondering if this guy's getting to the field. Hello? You have invested in this missionary four years, four years and all he's done is gone from church to church. But the missionary begins to question. Am I really called? And listen to this. Many missionaries go to the field under supported because their deputation took too long. Not too long by the standard of God. Don't get me wrong. God knew what was going on. We at Rome are trying to streamline the deputation process. I wish I had a national platform. I don't. But the platform that I do have I'm educating pastors and church members that Roma is trying to streamline the deputation process. How are you doing that? We subsidize missionaries. The board does. We subsidize missionaries based on their economic need at $500 or $1,000 a month because the first year is the most difficult. That's when they leave their job, sell their possessions, get into a Dodge van, and head down the road. You know how much they got coming in monthly when they start out? Zero. Maybe the home church, the sending church, will support them at a few hundred dollars a month. And so we support, we subsidize our missionaries. You say, where do you get the money from? Roma has to raise the money. We raise the money from the home office to be able to subsidize the missionaries for the first year. The grief of missions. I need to move along. Look with me at verse 26, please. He has made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth. Of course, That's the genetics of missions, the geography of missions. Has to determine the times before appointed. That's the grief of missions. Now watch this one. And the bounds of their habitation. Now we've already talked about geography. Then what does the bounds of their habitation? The geography, it's a big planet. It's 25,000 miles in circumference. So geography, we understand, what does it mean, the bounds of their habitation? I've entitled this point, the gate of missions. In other words, God will specifically corral, if you will, or gate, like a gated community, a specific people group for the hearing of the gospel because that's the goal. Verse 27, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might find him. That's why we're at where we're at. That's why we're going to geography. That's why we carry the grief. You all with me? And so now we, we, we got them gated and God will gate them. Brother Duarte, God will gate them for you. You will find that group of people that God has, has corralled and put them in a place, matter of fact, almost in a corner. You say, Brother Stevens, that's far-fetched. Well, you may not remember the video that I showed the last time. But in 1995, when I first... Communism fell in 89, and we were getting the reports of the living conditions of the Roma people of Eastern Europe and how horrendous it was under communism. They were the lowest of the totem pole of social assistance. And... um, A national pastor from Romania had come to the States prior to the fall of communism and was pastoring a a Baptist church in Akron, Ohio. I had started my first ministry to the Roma of Cleveland in 1990. And he had called me on the phone and said, Brother Stevens, and told me who he is. and He even spoke to me in the Roma language, which was very unusual because most people don't know our language. It's an untaught language. It's an unwritten language. And I said to him, how do you know our people? And he says, my people, he says, I was raised with your people in Tinka, Romania. And he invited us to his home where they set a table and gave us a wonderful meal, but showed us a homemade video of the Roma people of Tinka, Romania. And without saying, our hearts were pierced. We knew that we had to go see it firsthand. We didn't know about the living conditions. And by the way, the term for gypsy, gypsy is a derogatory term itself. It, you know, we get gypped, that's where it came from. The true term is the Roma people. But in Germany, the Zigoina. In, in Romania, they're the Tsikan. In Greece, they're the Giftos. In Spain, they're the Gitanos. It all means the same thing the undesirable, or the untouchable, or the unwanted. They are the disposable people. Hitler killed 600,000 gypsies in the Holocaust. It's documented. If you were to go to the National Holocaust Museum in Washington, there would be artifacts that are possessive to the gypsy people. And that's not, we of course, not to forget the 6 million Jews and the hundreds of thousands of millions of allied personnel who died in that war. But we, we allowed this, this man said he, he had made a promise to God that when communism fell, he was going to go back to Romania and establish churches amongst the Roma people. He raised his support and moved back to Romania in May of 1995. Myself and another missionary followed him in in June of 1995, giving him a month to get established. To our dismay, he had moved to the big city, which was far from Tinca, far an hour's drive. We didn't want to be in the big city. We wanted to be where the Roma were that in that were in that video, so we had them drop us off in Tinka. Now at that time in 1995 there weren't restaurants, there weren't hotels. It was a third is phenomenally a third world country, and so we stayed in an old broken down boarding house, wooden screens in the windows. We had a lot of visitors at night. Uh, There wasn't if there was running water, it was cold. Uh, there was no restaurants to eat at, but we didn't care about the living or eating conditions. We were there doing Acts chapter 2 mission work. My sister had sent with me two three-pound hickory farm beef sticks. You know the ones you get at Christmas time? And I took with me a case of ramen chicken noodle soup. You know the ones that are 100 for a dollar? Not really. Because they were light. And you could pass. And I took a collapsible sterno stove. I didn't know then that you couldn't take sterno in an airplane. I did. And so that's what we had. We had a beefsteak, ramen chicken noodle soup, got some of the fresh baked bread from the bakery, best homegrown tomatoes I've ever eaten in my life. But we ate that every day, but we didn't care about the food. We didn't have a car, but every day we'd grab our backpacks. And there's no such thing as a gypsy village. Each village or town has a parcel of land that was given to the Roma people by the communist government. I say like an Indian reservation, but not that elaborate. Always on the outskirts of town, near the trash dumps, near the railroad tracks, getting the Roma people out of mainstream society. When we came to the small villages, it was easy to find that parcel land where the Roma were. But when we came to Tinka, Tinka, that town was a town of 2,500 people. And we didn't know where that parcel land was. We knew it wasn't where we had entered. I spoke no Romanian, so I couldn't ask a national. But the sovereignty of God, there was a young gypsy boy about six years old at the edge of town standing and gazing into a storefront window, four generations away from Eastern Europe, 5,000 miles, and I still spoke the same dialect of gypsy that they spoke. Most, most immigrants in America use the lang- lose the language in the second generation, our families <laughs> preserved it. I went to that gypsy boy and I said to him in the gypsy language, or where are the gypsies? We didn't have visible Bibles, so it's not like he knew where we, who we were. But he led us by the hand clear across town. We never would have found this parcel of land without help. And he came to a small one-room house. And when I say a small one-room house, it was 10 by 10 or 12 by 12. When he came to the door of the house, he didn't knock. He just opened the door very quietly and almost tiptoed in. I looked at the missionary that was with him and said, we better follow in the same way. So we walked in very quietly as well. And as soon as we walked in, we saw right away why he had entered quietly. No one lived in this house. This was a vacant house specifically designed for a place for the Roma people to come and pray. And when we walked in, there were 10 or 12 gypsies on their knees in a circle praying. They didn't know we were there. One man was praying out loud. Gypsies are bilingual all over the world. I speak English and roma they would speak romanian in roma but by the sovereignty of god he prayed in roma had he prayed in romanian i would have understood a word of his prayer sovereignly god is working and he prayed in the roma language out loud and this was his prayer god send us someone send us someone to tell us the truth of the gospel for we are very confused to understand his prayer the years 1995 communism had fallen six years prior to that, and in those six years, every cult and his brother was coming from the West confusing these primitive people, telling them that if they ate pork, they couldn't go to heaven, telling them that if they didn't worship on Saturday, they couldn't go to heaven, and telling them that if they didn't speak in tongues, they couldn't go to heaven. I won't give you the doctrinal backgrounds of all those thoughts. And after he prayed and said his amen, He opened his eyes and he stood to his feet and I was standing right in front of him. And I said to him in the gypsy language, we are the answer to that prayer. How would you like to get your prayers answered that fast? I presented the gospel to him. He and several others in that room knelt and received Christ as their savior. He was a professional accordion player. He would play at weddings. He had his accordion with him because he would play Christian songs before they prayed. Gypsies are very emotional people. They laugh hard, they fight hard, they cry hard, and they celebrate hard. And he grabbed his accordion, we went outside, he began to play like the Pied Piper. Gypsies were coming from all over the community. I think they thought there was a party going on. And there on the dirt roads of Thinka, Romania, I preached once again in the Roma language. Many were saved at that service we had our first baptism in August of that year, and that was the nucleus for the Baptist Church of Thinka, Romania. The man that I heard praying is a man by the name of Giza Feketa. He now pastors four of our churches and is in the process of establishing the fifth church. Now, When Giza tells me first told me the story of what he was doing there that day, and I won't go into that for the sake of time, but here's what he said. I had heard the gospel before in the Romanian language, but I had never heard the gospel in my own language. You see, folks, when someone hears the gospel in their own language, it's like God knows them. And he said, preacher, when you presented the gospel in my language, it's like God cornered me. I couldn't run anymore. He had found me. Folks, it's a gated community. You all with me? What does it say? Look at the last phrase of verse 26. And is determined before the times appointed and the bounds of their habitation by the design of a sovereign God he had Geza Feketa in that one room house on his knees in a circle. He was gated. He was cornered. He couldn't run. Did I plan for him to be there that day at that moment at that time? Was it my doing? There's no way a man could plan something like that, no matter how spiritual he is. But a sovereign God who is the instigator and the creator of missions and evangelism, had it all arranged. And then I'm going to finish with this. First we talked about the genetics of missions, one blood. We talked about the geography of missions, how God has put them to dwell on all the face of the earth, those who need to be reached with the gospel, the grief of missions, because God determines the times before appointed. The people we're to reach are only around for a specific amount of time. The gate of missions, that's the border, the gated community. All for the specific reason, and here's the last thought, that's the goal of missions. The goal of missions is in verse 27. That they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him, and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. The first time I read that verse, a word jumped off the pages. We independent, fundamental, Bible-believing, KJV Baptists are not big on feelings, are we? We have them, but we don't promote them. We're very careful with emotionalism. And I understand emotions need to be contained. It's like electricity in a wire. Aren't we glad that electricity is in a wire? But we have emotions. But why did God choose to use the word feel? in verse 27. And for those of you who may not be KJV advocates, you might be saying, well, that's a, that's a mistranslation. Feel shouldn't be there. Look at it again. That they should seek the Lord if haply they might feel after him. The word feel there in the original language, Greek, is a word that would be best defined and I've entitled this point The Groping of Missions is what a blind man does when he's looking for a door. What does he do? He feels for it. Don't we sing and say millions grope in darkness. They're blind. Who has blind them? blinded them? And is this their eyes blinded? The God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. They're blind. What's our responsibility? To turn on the lights of the gospel. Amen. Jesus said we are the light of the world. Amen. Our light is supposed to shine. Amen. Not just locally. Locally. But around the world, simultaneously, according to Acts 1 8, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Amen. Missions Month is about doing that. Four Sundays about focusing on missions, focusing on sending the light.